But we have the greatest message in all the world, don't we? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cannot we be passionate about that? Cannot we have a conviction about that that leads us uh, to be passionate and stirred up in our heart? Let's open our Bibles. Old Testament tonight, Exodus chapter 36. I want to bring you a few encouraging thoughts about what it takes to get the job done. Uh, I think you'd agree, we have an incredible, monumental task in front of us to reach the world with the gospel. And I love the way your pastor prayed for tens of thousands to be saved over there in Ukraine and Russia. And then just multiply that by many nations all around the world. How we need to see God's work move forward. And it's going to take a veritable army of Christian laborers uh, to see that accomplished. And so these are just really a few seed thoughts from God's Word tonight and how we can have a heart for the work of God and we can fulfill the role that God has for us. Exodus 36, and we're going to read about a man by the name of Bezalel here who rolled up his sleeves and got busy for God. And he had a tremendous spirit for the Lord. And I think we can learn from him. Exodus 36 and verse 1 says, Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded, and Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came, every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. What a wonderful testimony. And my, my how we need to see that today. Uh, we need to see a passion and an investment being made in God's work. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these few moments that we have together here this evening and I pray that you would stir our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes, help us to understand uh, how that we can be involved, and Lord, what you require of us, and Lord, that uh, your work can only be fully accomplished when every single one of us unique as you've created us, individuals as we are, are involved in fulfilling what you have for us. The role, the particular place, the niche uh, that you have for us to serve. 
And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to this chapter in Exodus, we understand that the context here is the building and all that went into it, all the details from commencement through completion of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And it was a a great task. After all, the tabernacle is a wonderful picture of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, It really was that place set apart where God would meet with His people. And here we've read about just some of the people that were involved and Uh, One thing is for certain, I think that we can say, is they had a heart for the work. They had a passion for for the work of God, zeal. Maybe similar to uh, Nehemiah in his day and the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, where the Bible says that the people had a mind to work. Enthusiasm, uh, a fire for the things of God. Do you have that? Uh, holy zeal, that passion tonight, uh, a lively manifestation of joy and of zeal. I mean, we get enthusiastic about all kinds of things, don't we? It's really amazing. People, people have a passion for the food that they eat. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I remember sitting around our uh, family dinner table and to hear my kids discuss their top ten list of favorite meals. And they had a passion for it. I mean, uh, it, it, it was something that burned in them. We, we get passionate about the clothes that we wear, uh, a new car, a new home, maybe our favorite uh, sports team, all kinds of things. And I suppose in and of itself, uh, that, that's not wrong, but it sure should never surpass our zeal for the Lord. People even have a passion for some really foolish things. I read about a, an event that t- apparently takes place every year in a little town in Minnesota, and it is an annual turtle race, a turtle race, and vendors will rent turtles and sell turtle products, and the fans gather early, placing out their chairs and their blankets for the best viewing of the turtle race. And they say there, there's as many as four to 500 turtles that will race in different heats of 15 at a time over a six-foot-long course. And they're loudly cheering their favorites on. <laughs> Just picture that. And the winning trainer receives a prize. And it's an uncharacteristic frenzy and frantic emotion as they describe it especially for these normally reserved folks in northern Minnesota. And yet, you know, people say, well, that's great. (laughs) And yet, they'll get upset that Christians worship too expressively in church on Sunday morning. I mean, you know, to say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Uh, You know, that's a little over the top for some people. Listen, we serve a great God. Uh, We have a great task before us. We ought to be zealous about that. Someone said, nothing is so contagious as enthusiasm. It is the genius of sincerity, and truth accomplishes no victories without it. 
there were two pastors discussing passion and uh, the, the, the progress within their churches. And one pastor commented to the other whose church was alive and whose church seemed to be growing. And he said, you know, brother, we preach pretty much the same message. You know, we have the same, seems like we have the same programs. Uh, what, what's the difference? You know, we serve up the same spiritual food. And the one pastor said, well, brother, could it be, could it possibly be that one of us serves it on fire and the other one serves it on ice? And sometimes that could be true. Now here we are with this generation of Israel. They had not yet entered the promised land and yet nothing so far had taken place that would disqualify them from entering the promised land. We know how that all turned out through those 40 years. But at the moment, in the moment, their spirit appears to be one of grateful and happy participation in the work of God. And one man in particular, Bezalel, played a prominent role. His name means in the shadow of God. In the shadow of God. Isn't that a wonderful place to be? Understanding that we're serving under the leadership and the direction and the purpose and the plan of our almighty creator. And so this is an excellent model for us as to what it takes to get the job done. And just a few thoughts here tonight. Number one, there were stipulations for those involved. Verses 1 and 2 as we read it, it says that uh, Bezalel, Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work. If we were to flip over to Exodus 31 and verse 3, we have a further description of Bezalel's character as a man filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. You see, if we're going to serve God successfully, it, it, it's, it's not just a matter of happenstance, or chance, or luck. What it is, is godly preparation meeting with opportunity. So we ought to be prepared people. Opportunity is always there, but are we prepared? If we're not prepared for the opportunity, I suspect we could end up looking quite foolish. And so how were these people prepared? They were prepared with spiritual hearts, hearts that were surrendered to God in the areas of wisdom. This was godly wisdom. They were carrying out right principles. Every wise workman works according to the right principles of his or her craft. That could be working with wood, it could be uh, metalwork, it, it could be some other discipline. But if you ignore the principles of the craft, you're not going to be successful. And so, likewise, spiritually and morally, a wise person is going to live by the revealed principles of Scripture as far as right and wrong are concerned. 
principles that reflect the character of God. If we're going to be used of God to fulfill the task of world evangelization, we need to have this kind of wisdom. Understanding. The idea of discernment, distinguishing. Proverbs 21 and verse 30 says, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Again, it's a godly understanding. An aptitude or particular intelligence that you have from God. And that's why it's so important, isn't it, that we're in the Word of God on a daily basis. I hope that you never take God's Word for granted. Maybe you've read it through, frontwards and backwards, uh, dozens of times, and never get to that point where you say, you know what, I've got it all. Because there's, I'll guarantee you there's something rich for you in God's Word each and every day. I mean, it is a treasure house of understanding, spiritual wisdom, and God's able to fill your heart. You need to pray with the psalmist, open mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. We need that wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. That's how we prepare to serve God. But we notice with Bezalel, there was something else. There wasn't only a spiritual heart, there were skilled hands. So Bezalel was gifted, the Bible says, in all manner of workmanship. He worked with precious metal, stone, and woodwork. And if God has given you skill in that way, ability to use your hands, it's a gift that He wants you to give back to Him. It could be mechanical ability. You know, I had a little tour of, um, I call it, uh, uh, it, it's like uh, Houston Control up there. You know, all the, all the guys doing the, the uh, live streaming and the video back there. And I got a little tour of it. And it's wonderful, the skill, skills that those gentlemen have to be able to produce your live stream, to be able to just get the right mix of sound and lighting and everything for the services. That's wonderful. Use that for God. So others have musical ability. Some are gifted uh, with uh, various aspects of technology. Some have, uh, they're just a bright mind when it comes to math and finances, business principles. And, and I'm just saying to you, there's uh, no limit of different skills that God can use within the context of the local church and God can use within the context of worldwide evangelism. It's all important. And it's not like we separate that and say, well, this is spiritual and that's secular. For the Christian, if you're saved tonight, it's all spiritual. Look how God used Bezalel. He had spiritual preparation, a spiritual heart, but he had skilled hands. And he said, this, these hands are gifted by God. It's not my own. God gave this to me. I'm giving it back to him. And so whatever you have, you, you, give, it to the, you give it to the Lord. He had that spiritual aptitude, those skilled hands, and then this idea of passion. His heart was stirred about it. Exodus 36, verse 2. You notice 
the phraseology in the last part of that verse. Even everyone whose heart stirred him up. The idea to be lifted up in your heart, to bear, to carry forward the passion and the enthusiasm. Someone said, you know, if passion could be made into a pill, every leader would take it and distribute it to every member of their organization. Now, it doesn't work that way. You can't buy passion. <laughs> and you, you can't simply decide to be passionate. Passion arises out of the conviction of your heart. Now, you tell me, if you're selling anything, from vacuum cleaners to used cars, if you do not believe in your product, if you do not, do not have a conviction that your product is absolutely the best thing since sliced bread, what kind of a salesman will you make? You have to have that conviction and it gives you that passion. Now, listen, we have, and it's not a product, but we have the greatest message in all the world, don't we? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cannot we be passionate about that? Cannot we have a conviction about that that leads us uh, to be passionate and stirred up in our heart? So uh, we see that, and we also see a supply for the work. I want to encourage you tonight that God's will for your life, God's design for you to serve Him, will never be lacking for His supply. And in this case, it says that the children of Israel took up an offering, and they brought these free offerings every morning. God is a great provider, supplies our daily needs, and those of our families. He's a great provider of the church. Look at the missionaries you support tonight. Uh, how do you think that's possible? <laughs> Grace Baptist Church. How many? 104 missionaries? 104. How is that possible? Well, that is God working in the hearts of the church family, stirring them up to say, we're going to give so that the missionaries can go. But who blesses you with the ability to give? God does. And so you become a conduit through which He gives, through which He supplies the need of the missionary on the field. That's all we are as channels. Now, His plan is our, we, give, we give the tithe, the 10%. We, we give that, that's through the local church. That's for the work and the ministry of the local church. And then over and above that, God blesses us and we give by faith to see God's work go forward. And these folks gave voluntarily. You notice that they were free offerings. Exodus 35, 29 says that the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we're instructed that every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, we give the 10% because that's, really, that's a minimum requirement. But every, anything we give and above that, over and above that, God is not saying, listen, 
uh, you have to give that. No, that's something that we get to give from our heart as God moves and as we purpose and as we can trust God. And so it's a voluntary thing. God blesses liberal giving. It says they gave, they gave enough here. In fact, they gave more than enough. Can you imagine? Moses had to say, look, you've given too much. <laughs> it's time to step back. They had to be restrained from giving more. Like the Macedonian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Like the widow with her two mites, while all the rest gave of their abundance, she out of her want, Jesus said, cast in all that she had, even all her living. Do we believe the proverb, Proverbs 11.25, that says the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Listen, we serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Are you with me tonight? Here's what I'm convinced of. In, in our giving and in our service for God, uh, really, we have two responsibilities. Number one, to be what God wants us to be. That's the first thing. The being comes before any doing. It starts in the heart. But secondly, there is a responsibility for us to do whatever it is that God has for us to do. And everything beyond that, God takes care of. If you serve God and you serve people as you ought to, Listen, God will take care of you. I have learned over the years, and especially, Pastor, in these last four and a half years since we set off on this new ministry, uh, you know, I, I left a ministry behind. We had our needs met. Uh, we had a, a benefits package as a pastor of a, of a growing good church, and we left that behind. And in the first few months, we, were, we had a 75% redu reduction in pay. <laughs> but I have learned something, and that is this, that God has a million different ways to take care of His children. And He's real good at it. <laughs> um, I don't need to tell Him, really, what my needs are. He knows. Now, I should pray, but my responsibility is to be what God wants me to be and to do what God wants me to do. And there is a sufficiency that we have when we roll up our sleeves like Bezalel and bring our heart into the work and bring our hands into the work and say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. And the Bible says in verse 5 that there was more than enough. Verse 7, for the stuff that they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. And the idea of that word sufficient is enough for them. Malachi 3.10 
The Bible says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Kind of how it works is this. When, when God knows He can trust you with what He's blessed you with, I'm not only talking about material resources, but even in terms of the intangibles, your spiritual gifting and your abilities, your time which you're a steward of. And you use that for His glory. You use that in order to serve others. You use that in order to get involved in God's work. God will always give you enough to do that. God will supply. Just a few thoughts before I'm through with this idea of sufficiency. Listen, enough is enough. What I mean by that is God is unlimited, but we are limited. Are you with me tonight? God's infinite. We're finite. Okay? God is eternal. And as far as this life is concerned, we're just temporal creatures. So we only have so much time. We only have so much uh, energy. We only have so much strength, so much power. There's only so much we can do. And there's only so much that God expects us to do. But whatever it is, that God expects us to do, He will enable us to do. It's never a question. You know, if young, young men here, we've got some young people here, young men, young women, you know, what is it that God wants you to do with your life? You know, if God wants you to be a missionary, if God wants you to preach the gospel, never think for a moment, you know, how am I going to do that? God will supply what you need as far as ability and strength and the resources to do whatever it is God wants you to do. When God called me to preach, I was probably the least likely guy in all the world to be a preacher. I hated speech. I hated getting up in front of people. I was afraid of my own shadow. It was not a good place to be. But over the years, I can tell you, God's been faithful. Why am I standing here still preaching the gospel after 40 years? It's not, don't look at me and say, well, you know what, uh, Brother Teeson, you, you've been faithful. No, this is not about my faithfulness, it's about his faithfulness to me. It's never a question of whether God will supply enough strength, enough love, enough wisdom, enough of everything. The question is, will we give enough? Will we give our best? Enough is enough. And here's another thought. It's in your hands. You notice uh, the expression in verse 7, for the stuff they had. Just put a little uh, quote marks around that expression. The stuff they had. Moses was arguing with God. You remember it, at the burning bush. 
God was calling him to a great task to lead a mighty people out of Egypt, out of their bondage, into the promised land. And Moses was making excuses with God. Do you remember that? Well, God, I can't speak. You know, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. And God, in Exodus 4, said to Moses, What is that in thy hand? Moses looked at it. Well, there, there was the, the shepherd's crook, or the rod, that he'd become very familiar with and very accustomed to during 40 years of his shepherding career in the wilderness. And God said, throw it down. And he threw it down, and you know the story, right? Turned into a serpent. He said, reach down and grab it by the tail. And he did, and turned into a rod in his hand again. Just a rod, just a shepherd's rod. But we know that with that same rod, Moses extended it and held it there while the, red, the waters of the Red Sea dried up and Israel went through on dry ground. Moses held that same rod up and Israel waged war against the Amalekites. And as long as he held that rod, Israel was on the victor side. It was just a rod. And later on, we read that it's referred to as not Moses' rod any longer, but the rod of God. And a wonderful thing happens when whatever the stuff you have you quit grasping it so tightly and you put it in God's hands. And God will bless it and multiply it beyond your wildest imagination. Jesus fed 5,000 with just a little boy's lunch. But after the 5,000 were fed, what remained? Twelve baskets of fish and bread. That's enough for one for each of the twelve apostles. And it's also a number that's representative of all the redeemed. Listen, you give your all to God, it's enough. Enough is enough. And it's the stuff, just the stuff that He's given you. You put it back in His hands. And God will multiply it. And God will use you. And you can say, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. Never mind all that. What do you have to give God tonight? If you have a willing heart and you have skilled hands, give it to Him and let Him use it and multiply it. My prayer for many years, I'll close with this illustration, and I, I pastored for a little better than 30 years, and Every Sunday morning, typically I'd get up at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. Sunday morning. And it's not that I had to prepare a message last minute, but I'd be preparing all week. But I'd like to go over it again and again and again. And, and my prayer to God every Sunday morning was, Lord, you took a little boy's lunch and you blessed it. And you broke it. And with that lunch, you fed 5,000 people. And Lord, my feeble attempt at preparing this sermon this week doesn't amount to much more than that little boy's lunch. 
But God, I'm going to put it in your hands. And I'm asking you today to bless it and to break me as your servant and God, feed your people. You see, on my own, my effort is never sufficient enough. But once it's in His hands, it's more than enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.